Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, this is Terry, and we do have a great show lined up for you today, but first I'm looking out the window here, and I don't know if, what it's been like where you live, but it's been pretty dreary and rainy for Colorado where I live. Now, moisture's always good here, but I am just excited to see the sunshine. I hope you're all getting outdoors and have something going on. We live in such a, a great state. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to talk some fishing. We're going to talk some hunting. We're going to have even have something for the trail bike and equestrian people. We'll talk a park that has a lot of trails you can use. We've just got a lot going on. We're going to do an Ask the Expert and a Tackle Talk later on in the show today, too. And by the way, send your questions in to Ask the Expert. And that's whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, outdoor clothing, outdoor cooking, whatever it is. If we answer your question on the air you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. So just send your questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Gmail. And if we answer it on the air, you get a $25 gift card. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook. That's also Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. A lot of the things we do on the show, you'll find out ahead of time on Facebook. You'll also get a link to my column in the Denver Post there. You'll get links every time we post a new television show on our YouTube channel. And if you were following that, you would know that we're going to go right to the phones. And we have a very special guest now. And that's Mr. Bob Broshide, Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. It's one of those days where I can't wait to get the show done. I love doing this show, and I love being here. I love interacting with people, but boy, it looks nice out. <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. And, you know, it's the, 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 it's been so dry in so many parts of the state, and then all of a sudden you're just getting a lot of rain. And, uh, you know, it's great for wildlife. It's great for the fish. Um, and it's, you know, it's just it's great for habitat. I, I just we were just in Trinidad this last couple of days for our commission meeting, and it is green. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're going to have the guys from uh, from uh, Arkansas Headwaters on after you, uh, Stu, and down there, and some of the guys from uh, Arc Anglers. We're going to talk about how this has been a different year in fishing in the rivers. We were we had a lot of runoff, took a while to come down, started getting warm. We've had this rain, so we're going to cover that, but. The reason I wanted to have you on is, I think, unless people were living in a cave and weren't following the newspapers or this show or all the advertising or all the coverage that went on, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is kind of at a uh, a point where funding decisions have to be made on whether to fund things or to or to cut programs. And I wanted to bring you on. I know that we didn't get anything through the legislature last year, and I thought maybe you could bring us up today and what the current state of the budget is and maybe a little bit of what we're looking for going forward. Sure, Terry. Yeah, it, this, uh, you know, current state of the budget, and this is a, an ongoing issue and an item that we talk to the commission about just about every month. And, you know, in general, I mean, we, our budget is fine. The, the, the cliff that we're seeing is, is just increased costs and things are, things are, are costing a lot more to implement, whether that be salaries or, or fish food, or, or whatever it, it may be, utilities, everything is going up, just like uh, anybody in their, their their home. I mean, your home expenses, your personal expenses. So, um, you know, we're going to manage. We, we can only spend what we earn, and that means we got to be constantly looking at the revenue coming in and the expenses going out. And 
the reason, as you know, last year we, we tried to run a, a license fee park pass increase uh, or at least the, the ability to look at those that pricing structure was the money's just not going as far. And that what that means then, if we don't see any sort of relief in the revenue or increase in the revenue side, then we're going to have to start cutting costs and, and expenses. And most of those are, are programs that, that hunters and anglers and park visitors, you know, enjoy. And we're just we're just going to have to start doing less. We're, we're not going to overexpend what, what we bring in. So that was our attempt last year. It was to just start the conversation. It didn't. The legislation did not result in any increases uh, except for the our, our approach to the aquatic nuisance species. We needed to do something quickly because our funding was running out and there was no funding for that. So, but on the hunting and fishing side, you know, in the park visitation side, it passes and permits that we would have that discussion with our constituents about. Yeah, I understand that everything is costing more. My cable bill is going up. My water bills are going up. Um, but we've had a lot of folks out there that that's causing us to relook at if we run again this year. And we're, and we're talking about it. We're looking at lessons learned on this. We're looking at how can we make this a lot more simple. Um, but the but the real uh, concern that I had was was as you know we had people down at the legislature saying. Not only do I not want to pay more, I don't want to pay at all. And as you know, well back in the early late 1800s and early 1900s, hunting and fishing in particular has always been user pay. And that is the model of wildlife conservation that we have been living on for a very, very long time. And when, when hunters and anglers uh, are saying, I, I don't want, I, not only do I not want to pay more, I don't want to pay at all. And we saw a lot of groups like that saying, we, we want free, we want this. Well, it, it, this model, uh, funding model, does not work under that scenario. So it's, it's caused us to, to take a lot of pause, Terry, and, and, and think about how many folks need to understand how we're funded and where the funding goes. But this is a sort of a, a bigger issue about what is the future of hunting and fishing. And, and if this user pay model isn't working, well, what, what else is out there that we can utilize? Since we, we don't receive any tax dollars. It's, this is, this is all, all pass and license generated revenue. So it's causing us to, to, to take a little step back and things that we could do better uh, if, this, if this legislation runs again this year. Um, but there's a, there's a bigger issue out there that's looming that, that I think we need to get to. Well, I think there's a couple points that I really want to kind of expound on a little bit. And one was you talked about the North American model has always been the sportsmen kind of paid. And I would say the sportsmen have been the original conservationists. When I hear these green movements and things, I would say welcome aboard because we've always cared about maintaining the habitat and the environment because we wanted to have a heritage of hunting and fishing that continued. But one of the reasons we have, I travel the world and we have some of the best fishing we've ever had right now. Sure, some waters cycle up and down. We have some of the best hunting, and that's due to proper management and, and maintaining of habitat. None of that happens for free. If we don't have good rules and good maintenance, we're going to see resources being lost or at least not be good resources. A great example of that right now would be what's happening with Lone Tree. It's got one year left because the water company found out they could lease it to a developer for more money, and we're going to face questions like that in a lot of places, aren't we? 
You're right, Terry. That that one is is one. It's a loss of a, a very a very important fishery uh, for for CPW to manage for our anglers. But I, I think it's a symptom of the bigger issue that is going on. Is that um, if you want to talk about aquatic nuisance species or access to these reservoirs, the for we own very few reservoirs. We we lease them, or there's an agreement in place with us uh, either under beer reclamation or water provider for the recreation and Lone Tree, you're right. We, we got way outbid on that. Um, I don't think we could have even come close to what the, what the bid was on that. Um, and, and what happens is now we see fishermen are getting squeezed out of a lot of these places. And this is very similar to the issue we are dealing with the aquatic nuisance species. And, and we talked at length on your show was it's not just you know uh, monitoring boats and trying to prevent the infestation of those of those species, but it was becoming an access issue because of these where, where the lakes that we do not own outright. We were seeing water providers say, "Well, if you don't have a program here, uh, we're not going to allow access onto these lakes." And so, you know, Lone Tree is very simple symptomatic of what is going on out there that that development pressures or the lack of funding the agency has or all of the above is not letting us be able to reasonably compete for these uh, access to these resources. And it's, and at the end of the day, it's going to hurt our constituents who, who won't be able to or will be severely impacted access-wise to, to a lot of these reservoirs, lakes, and streams and just take increasing urbanization right now. Um, you know, we, we've seen it in the hunting realm, and now we're starting to feel it on the fishing side, too. Well, you're absolutely right. The population and the development in Colorado are growing, and we're, we're seeing more, um, more use of our resources by a variety of people. And I think a couple things are going to have to happen here. Is one, we've got to decide what we can provide, what we want to provide, and then how we're going to fund that. And, and that maybe isn't just the hunters and anglers anymore. Maybe the the mountain bikers and the equestrians and the trail hikers and the ATVers, and some of those pay already. ATVs and snowmobiles pay a license fee. But maybe some of these people are going to have to step up more. I don't know. I mean, but they all take advantage of a resource that's typically supported by hunting and fishing dollars. And, you know, and then access to the lakes. If we lose the ANS, that's not only going to be the fishermen, that's going to be the wakeboarders. That's going to be the water skiers. That's going to be just the pleasure boaters. It's going to be everybody. And we've got a couple minutes left, and we can't address a lot of these issues much more in depth. I'm going to get you back on. But the ANS in particular is one that's concerning right now. What what do we need to know? Where are we at and what needs to happen so we have good access next year? Well, you're right. And, and uh, luckily, the legislature gave us a, a, a break this year. Was, uh, they basically provided, uh, you know, in a nutshell, basically some general funds to, to allow us to, to continue to maintain this program through next this year and next. But um, is this going to be a continuing appropriation or or can we come up with a funding model, basically the user pay model um, that we can start looking at broadening the, the pay or the, the contribution of others that, that hopefully will sustain this program well into the future. And, you know, and, I've, I've got to see a lot of the behind the scenes of the legislature. There's a lot of, of, of significant funding issues out there from transportation to education, 
um, K through 12, higher ed, you know, all those other things that they're having to wrestle with. And there's, there's really no, no, no silver bullet here, but, you know, I, I'll tell you that those are very big societal level issues um, and hunting and fishing, you know, will typically take the backseat to a lot of those issues. And so my, my whole approach has been is how can we follow this user pay user benefit funding model to create something that will allow us to continue to maintain these lakes and rivers and streams and everything open for our anglers. And, you know, that's, that's the multi-million dollar question, but we're going to continue to tackle that with a group of interests across the board that we've got some solutions. It's just a matter of will of getting this through, uh, through the legislature. Now we've got about a minute and I want to tell me, first of all, if we don't get any action, if things stay static, what programs are going to be in jeopardy first? What, where will we see the impact? And then what does the outdoor public have to do? Well, I think the outdoor public, what they have to do, I'll start with that first, Terry, is, is educate yourselves and get engaged. It, I've been telling people for, for a very long time that it's, it's no longer good enough to just buy a license and expect this this other people to do this work wildlife and and visit and outdoor recreation it is political and you need to be in the political process so just please educate yourselves on what's going on and where the money is going and how the money is generated and then get engaged either you know write letters or get in you know talk to your local legislators it, just let them know that you're there and you care or Support groups or support other folks that will, uh, are doing this daily uh, down at the legislature. And as far as where we go, um, you know, we're starting to have those discussions with the commission. And, and really, there's there's really nothing off the table, um, whether that go from our staff, that maybe there's a, a reduction in staff or there's a reduction in programs. Um, you know, it's we haven't really nailed anything down specifically, though, Terry, but, you know, We've got to look at this as a, as a business and, and where are those expenses going and what are the things that uh, we need to maintain that allow us to continue to generate revenue, which is basically our constituents. And there's going to be some tough decisions, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, and uh, we've, we've got to get ahead of this before it becomes a crisis. We need to start planning now and start standing those type of programs down now before it becomes an issue. Well, as we get down the road here a few weeks or a few months, um, I know Karen is talking to you and I've been talking to you. We want to get you on for a longer period of time so we can go a little more in depth and maybe we can help um, help educate the people. And at least we got the ball rolling again a little bit today. And Bob, as always, thank you for coming on. And we're going to get you back on again very soon. My pleasure, Terry. Look forward to it. You bet. That's Bob Broshide from Parks and Wildlife. And we do have some challenges. We're going to have to look at it as the outdoor public is what do we want for our outdoor resources and what are we willing to pay? Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. Sun is... Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Um, we're going to go right to the phones now. And uh, joining us from the Arkansas Headwaters area, we have uh, Stu Papperfort. Good morning, Stu. 
Morning, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I just put an R, extra R in your name. It's Pappenfort, but other than that, I'm doing good. But... <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, so do you, have, uh, do you have somebody with you from Arc Anglers, too? I do. I have uh, Braden Baker, who's general manager at Arc Anglers here in Salida, and yeah, he's going to talk about uh, some of the current fishing conditions today and uh, help me out a little on that since that's their business and they do it day in, day out. Well, I know the conditions are a little different. It's been kind of an unusual year. We'll get to that, but I think, Stu, first, um, for people that maybe are new to the area, uh, Arkansas Headwaters Park's a little different the way it stretches along the river. Kind of tell people where it's located and, and how it's set up. Sure. Um, uh, we're actually a recreation area uh, rather than a, a, a state park with a fence around it. So we're stretched out along 152 miles of the Arkansas River from uh, just below Leadville to the, uh, the border of uh, Lake Pueblo State Park. So that encompasses uh, quite a bit of, of uh, different types of, of water and, and uh, conditions. Uh, we're a cooperative management uh, uh, recreation area. So our partners in in this are the Bureau of Land Management and uh, United States Forest Service. And so we, uh, but the state parks and wildlife do the on the ground um, management and, and the other partners are more or less in the uh, advisory and, and management area. So uh, we have various recreation sites all the way up and down the river. Uh, they're interspersed with uh, other uh, state and federal lands as well as uh, private lands and municipalities. So uh, if you uh, come to the Arkansas Headwaters, we're uh, kind of, uh, slide is about kind of midway uh, along the whole recreation area. Now, you also have other, because we're going to talk fishing here in just a minute, but there's mm-hmm. other great recreation there. You have a, a number of campgrounds. Of course, because you're stretched along the river, there's lots of access for all kinds of activities, and we'll get into that, but you have a lot of camping opportunities there. We have six campgrounds, three above Salida and three below Salida. They're uh, spread out, and so there you'll find uh, different uh, types of uh, ecosystems with all those. Some are more alpine, some are a little more low and deserty. And uh, depending on what you're looking for, and, and you know, our campgrounds are open uh, well into the fall and all winter long as well, which is a, a great time to get out and do some hiking. Uh, and uh, a lot of people seem to be drawn to uh, uh, Browns Canyon National Monument uh, these days. So we're seeing a lot of campers at the uh, Ruby Mountain and Hecla Junction. And I understand that because of the rain and the long runoff that you're still getting pretty good flows, both not only for drifting the river for fishing, but for rafting, which the Arkansas, of course, is famous for its rafting. That's right. Uh, with the, you know, with the, the heavy monsoonal flow that we've been getting and the rains, the, the water stayed up pretty well. Uh, tip, in a typical year, uh, you know, we get down below 700 cubic feet per second and start augmenting. Uh, the river for uh, whitewater boating from the period of July 1st to August 15th. But uh, this year we've had, had uh, not had to add any water. In fact, we've been well above that 700 mark uh, of pretty much all, all, all of uh, July and August so far. So, uh, and in some places down in the lower river where there's more tributaries feeding in, we're almost double that 700 mark. Well, Braden, um, I, I want to kind of turn to you now. This, the, difference we had we had long runoff we had a dry period but we still had plenty of runoff we've got these rains the fish are probably very in a very healthy state because there's been good flows of cool water but we've had clear periods turbid periods it's probably been a different kind of fishing year i'll bet yeah i would agree with that um you know july is known for higher flows um and 
the way that the fish react to that is very interesting. Um, you think, oh, a lot of water, that must be great for the fish, but um, accelerated flows on the Arkansas are actually stressful in many ways for our resident brown trout population in particular. They're kind of like people. They don't want to have to work any harder than they have to for their keep. And so you'll typically find fish holding in sheltered lies um, in a very, very easy, slower water um, areas, typically along the banks um, during July. Um, and in a standard August, when the water levels drop, um, as those fish feel the relief from those heavier, faster currents, they will begin to disperse back into, uh, you know, further off the shore um, into more midstream lies, um, which is, it makes for a little bit more technical fishing at times. Um, and we're, what we're really seeing is an extension of that, that which you could call your high water fishing scenario, where because of that higher water we're still seeing, those fish are still moving to those sheltered areas towards the banks where they're a little bit easier to pick up with bigger attractor dry flies that are imitating stoneflies or grasshoppers, terrestrials, bankside bugs. Um, and coincidentally, because most of your fish move out of the heavier current and it, they're, they're not dispersed evenly across the stream, they tend to compete a little bit more for food because they're all occupying a much smaller area um, they can't afford to be nearly as choosy, and uh, because of that, in some ways, it makes makes for easier fishing, even though it may still be a stressful scenario for those fish. Um, and that's what we're still seeing right now. Typically, we're, we're looking at much lower water um, in August and then in late August, and uh, we're really riding just an extension of what a lot of people consider one of the better times of the year to fish because... Um, it, it can be a little bit easier pickings, um, a lot easier to read the water. When you're fishing, you know, within five feet of the bank, sometimes right up against the bank, it takes a little bit less guesswork to figure out where these fish are and what they're going to feed on, and it works for the angler's advantage. I have a couple of things I want to comment on what you said. One is I love when the big terrestrials or even the big nymphs are working, but or if I'm fishing under an indicator, but I love the big terrestrials, because I can, with my casting ability, I don't have to worry about gently laying the fly down. If the grasshopper plops down, it's okay. And with my old eyes, I can see it pretty well. Right. So I love this time of the year. And I was, I'll usually fish a hopper dropper. But another thing this time of the year, what I tell a lot of people is, you know, if there's high flows, especially if you're not an experienced wader, leave your waders at home. Two reasons. You just said most of the fish were up against the bank. As soon as they have their waders on, they step over those fish before they cast. And the other one is if there are flows that might be a little dangerous, you're not going to be tempted to take that misstep. Yeah. No, that's very true. It's a common question. People come in this time of year and, man, we're struggling on the river. Uh, you know, What are we doing? We, we, we're using flies we think are, are going to be effective, but... You know, we're just, we're struggling. And the first question um, we try to look at is, well, where are you fishing? Are you plunging into the river and, and casting into that heavier current? Are you wading out, you know, to, to knee deep or, or, you know, waist deep and, and trying to fish the middle of the stream? Um, I typically say as a general rule of thumb, the water that looks like you could stand in it safely is probably where you need to have your flies. Um and I, a lot of it comes down to what your relative expectation is. This area sees so much traffic from around the United States that think of the, the breadth of the different 
angling expectations and experiences that you see, and people can only take what they're used to and try to apply it when they're fishing in a new place, right? And people are astonished when they go out with a guide and finally see where these fish are holding. Uh, we talked about fish moving up to the edges. Uh, these fish, if, if they're finding you know slow, sheltered water up against the bank, you can find brown trout holding in six inches of water, even on sunnier days. If they've got a little lip or shelf or uh, a drop-off that they can hold against, they'll be in the, the slowest, laziest spot that they can find where they feel secure. And generally, that's where people are going to be walking. And they're excited to get out and wade fish the river. They want to be in the water. And, and unfortunately, they'll step out and five fish will scatter right off the bank where they jump into the water. And they've, and they've blown, you know, a, a, a you know, 20 foot, 20 foot, 30 foot stretch of the stream that they might have picked up four or five fish in. You're absolutely right. Guys, we're out of time. Last comments I want to make, though, are number one, that uh, uh, first of all, uh, Braden, if they want more information, how do they find you guys at Arc Anglers? Well, um, we've got a website, arcanglers.com, um, that we really try to update all of our stream reports um, on a daily basis, if possible, because you've got so much water on the Arkansas that's public, we divide it into three basins. The upper is Leadville down to Buena Vista. The middle is Buena Vista to Salida, the lower basin, Salida, and down. And those can all be in totally different stages of summer or fall, and it helps to go on and divide those up so you can address them appropriately. I think if somebody's looking for quick, accurate information that's up to the minute, best option is calling us at either our Salida shops or our Buena Vista fly shops. All right. Well, guys, we got we got to go, um, but I want to thank both of you for coming on, and I wanted to get a little bit more into the fishery because there are some gold medal waters. The brown trout have gotten bigger. It's still one of the best fisheries in the United States. Just got to understand what's going on right now so you fish it properly. Thanks so much, guys, and uh, thanks for all the update and the information. Thanks for having us on, Terry. Thanks, you, Terry. You bet. Thank you so much. Let's go right back to the phones. And you could go and probably buy a camper from this guy <laughs> and, and head right down to the Arkansas. And, you know, with all those campgrounds up and down that river, Ray, we, they could have a, a place, uh, probably find a place pretty easily. And we're talking to Ray from Adventure Camper. So good morning. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? Yeah, well, that's one of my favorite parts of the state to go camping. I wish I was down there this morning. Oh, and it's, you know, when it's far enough south, it stays beautiful so late into the fall, and the fishing just gets better in the fall there. It really yeah, does. Exactly. It's awesome. Exactly. You know, another place to camp that we're going to talk later on in the next hour to the folks from um, Lake McConaughey, Big Mac. Mm-hmm. And the, over the last few years, the waters fluctuated. It was way down, and then it was up really high for about three years. Well, they're at about 75% of capacity right now, which is really a, a decent level for them to be at for this time of the year. But what that's done is it opened up all kinds of shoreline. And for people that don't know, you can pull your RV, your camper, or set your, your tent camper right up on that shoreline. You can right next to the water. What a great opportunity yet this fall to get a camper from you and head out there. Well, and that's very true. It's beautiful beaches when, when you're right, when the irrigation water drops down a little bit and it opens up those beaches, they've got some really nice white sand beaches, beautiful place to go camp. So what else is going down at, at Adventure Campers? Well, it's a, a good time of year if you're in the market to buy a camper. Uh, fall is always the best time of year to get the best deal on a trailer, and we've our inventory is recovered now, so we've got uh, more 
products for people to choose from. So if somebody's in the market for a new trailer, now's a good time to come down and take a look at them. And uh, uh, we've still got campers available for late Labor Day if people are trying to fit in last-minute camping trips for the summer. And, of course, uh, September and early October are some of the best camping in the of the year, I think. Oh, you're absolutely right. And you guys specialize in trailers. That's what you do from, I believe, what, about 17 to 24 feet? Or is, uh, what that, size? That's right. And we, in particular, we've had uh, really good success this year with some of the smaller, lighter weight trailers, even if guys have plenty of truck to tow something bigger. Um, you know, it's just easier to um, get a smaller 17-foot trailer in some of the places your customers may want to go. So we've got a good inventory of those right now. Well, how do they find you, Ray? Uh, we're at AdventureCamper.com on the web, and we're located physically near Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road down in Centennial. All right, that sounds great. We will uh, we will talk to you again next week, my friend. Thanks, Terry. That's Ray, that's Ray from Adventure. Great guy, great people. You need to stop by and check them out. I'll tell you what, we're running late, but we are going to get to our next segment. And you folks that like uh, trails, horseback riding, mountain biking, you're going to love it, is we're going to take you up to a state park that allows all of those activities. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse. America's premier outfitter. We're going right back to the phones and uh, joining us from Lori State Park, uh, right up in my backyard, as a matter of fact, we have Cameron. Good morning, Cameron. Hey, good morning, Terry. How you doing? You know, I, I'm a little late getting to you, but I'm going to give you time. But I thought since your boss is the one that was running me over, you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Bob Broshide was on, and I'll tell you what, I, I got to get, I gotta, uh, give kudos to Bob, though, because whenever we ask him to come on the show and say what's going on, he is just uh, tremendous about coming on, being transparent, and giving us the update of what's going on at Parks and Wildlife. But let's talk a little bit. You know, we talked just the last segment to the guys at um, Arkansas Headwaters, and that's a little different park. And now we're going to talk about a park again that really doesn't have its own water feature, but it does back up to a great one, which you can access through it, and that's Lori State Park. Tell people kind of where the park is located and describe it. Sure, sure. So we're on the the west side of Horse Tooth Reservoir. Coming from Fort Collins, you're looking at you know, about a 15-minute drive. Coming around the north side of that of that reservoir, we do have access to the reservoir, like you said, um, typical of the Arkansas. Um, there is good fishing in the in the coves here, so people do access it that way. But uh, like you stated, we aren't we don't manage the lake. That's Larimer County and Bureau of Reclamation. Now, you have great trail system. How many miles of trails do you have? We have 26 miles of trail here, and 21 of those are multi-use, so horseback riding, mountain biking, hiking. There's no OHV use, but um, all those other things, yeah. You're absolutely right, and it's a beautiful park. Before I even get into some of the other amenities, like the wildlife watching and things, you had a couple fires over the last few years that came through and did some damage. What's the current status? Is is that recovering? Has things been rebuilt? Where are you at with that? Yeah, that's actually recovering nicely. So 2012 was the High Park fire, as most recall. Um, we had pretty significant damage here in the park in our northwest quadrant. Um, actually, the, the fire burned really hot and uh, kind of sterilized the soils. And we worked with different groups. One of those is Northern Colorado Water and uh, put some money together and did some aerial seeding in that backcountry area um, with some hay straw and some wood straw to kind of cover it up. And it's recovering really nicely. Well, and um, it, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so we did have some forestry projects there in the past where we uh, created some fire breaks and thinned out the forest in general. That that certainly helped keep the, the fire at bay. I think what really stopped it at the end was a nice slurry line by some of the aerial the aerial stuntmen up there helping us out. Boy, didn't they step in? Because I could see those yeah. fires from my house. And kudos to those guys. They lay yeah. their lives on the line to protect both our, our people, our, our homes, and our resources. You can't say yeah. enough about those guys. Right, right, for sure. Now let's talk a little more about the park, the trail system. I mean, you can hike into the to Horsetooth Reservoir and fish. Right. You, could, you do have some hiking. You, you don't normally have camping, but you do have some hiking campsites too. Is that right? That's true, and, and this isn't like uh, Lake McConaughey where you can drive up to the lake either. Um, you can walk down to the lake, and you have boating camping coming from the Horsetooth side. So to do that, you'd have to go through Horsetooth to get to the campsites on Horsetooth the Reservoir, even though you can access them from Lori State Park. Um, so, yeah, there's there's uh, good camping here, but, um, again, you have to. it's a boating campsite. Uh, there is backcountry camping at the park. It's about a two-mile uphill hike to get to those sites. Um, two, about two of them have really good views, and the others are just a close hike from good views of all Fort Collins and the Plains. And you can actually see Wyoming and you know, parts of Nebraska from up here. Well, and I think people don't realize as close <clears throat> as you are to Fort Collins. I mean, you're really just on the edge of town, but. When you start hiking in that park, because of the wooded areas and things, you feel isolated out in the wilderness. You don't feel like you're right next to a metropolitan area. Right. It's true. It's very true. It's like going up, uh, I don't know, 10 miles up the canyon, up toward Buckhorn or something. There's really no, no difference in, in the forest there. But when you... um, re- really good wildlife view in here, great hiking. If you want to get away from, from the crowd and the hustle and bustle, this is kind of the place to be. Um, this close to Fort Collins anyway. Yeah, and, and I wanted, you talked about the wildlife viewing. There's also some hunting opportunities. Now, you have hunting there for mule deer and turkeys, I believe. And the mule deer, I'm sure, are by draw. But what about the turkeys? Are those over the counter or are they by draw? No, those are draw also. So yeah. if you draw that area, you were telling me, though, if you just want to go look at wildlife, you're going to see deer and turkeys. What else? We you, you said there's a lot of turkeys there? Well, we have a really good population, yeah. And, and hunters have, have good success here. Uh, fall season's coming up on us soon, so I expect to see some of the people um, we've seen over the years and some new faces also. Uh, the the mule deer hunting is is very good also. Um, we have seasons starting, uh, well, here in fall, obviously. Um, and pretty, I'm not sure of the take of last year. I tried to look that up, but I wasn't able to, to find figures on that. But the take is really well. And then what about what about just the wildlife viewer? You have great resources for them. They're gonna what animals you're gonna see? Obviously turkeys and deer. What else will you see in the park? Sure, and if you're lucky, an elk. Uh, we do have the Cat Conservancy who has a few wildlife cameras in the backcountry, and they consistently show elk on them. I haven't seen an elk here for a few years now myself, just driving around or hiking around in the backcountry. Uh, prior to High Park, we saw them quite a bit, um, but they are still here in the park. And, of course, there's uh, all the big game, mountain lion, black bear, and um, we I, have bobcat that you'll see, fox. And I understand you have some... White-tailed deer sometimes as well. I understand you got some falcons and other birds, too. Right, right, right. So we do have a rock climbing area here, and we just opened it back up because of the peregrine falcons that were nesting here. Um, this is the second year we've seen them, and we've closed down climbing for that. 
to accommodate them. Uh, prior to that, we've noticed prairie falcons in the area, and now they're kind of pushed out by the peregrines, which is pretty typical. They're a little more aggressive, but they make for great wildlife viewing. Oh, you're right. Well, we're out of time, but what a great place it is. I mean, it's just go there and hike the trails. You're just going to enjoy the outdoors. Lori State Park, you're right in the backyard of Fort Collins. Cameron, thank you, you so bet. much for joining and, and uh, sharing the park with us. Thanks for your time, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. I love Dire Straits. You can tell their music as soon as it comes on. They're not the Eagles, but they're sure up there with them. Love them. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. All right. It is time for our Tackle Tip of the Week. And if you've been listening over the last few weeks, I've done a Tackle Tip on monofilament line. And I did one on nanofill, which is a super line just last week, which talking about the differences in where you use them, cost, castability. Well, there's another class of line that's really gained popularity in the last few years, and that's fluorocarbon. So I want to talk to you about fluorocarbon line, the pluses and the minuses. Now, if you watch um, the, pa- the bass tours on TV and all that, you'll see guys like Kevin Van Dam using fluorocarbon for a lot of different applications, and they'll have their full real spooled with it. And then you'll hear me talk a lot about using super lines, but putting a fluorocarbon leader on those lines. Let's talk about some of the pluses of fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon is very abrasion resistant. Okay. So it holds up, you know, even when I'm pike fishing in Minnesota now, a lot of times I'll have a 25 pound test leader of fluorocarbon instead of a wire leader, especially if I'm using a soft bait, I get much more natural action. And it's abrasion resistant, so I don't get bit off as much. And if you're fishing over rocks or things like that, that fluorocarbon leader will give you uh, just a much better chance of landing a fish. It's got the density similar to water. You know, monofilament almost is it's, it's buoyant. It floats. And so you get a lot of bow in your line. Uh, also, because monofilament is a different density than water, it refracts light at a different rate, and it it's easier to see in the water where fluorocarbon becomes almost invisible in the water. It sinks, which gives you control over some of your lures and fishing gives you better feel. And as far as better feel fluorocarbon has much less, well, it stretches less than monofilament and that's kind of a misnomer. It really stretches quite a bit, but it stretches later than monofilament. And what I mean by that is as soon as you start pulling on monofilament, you're going to get stretched. So you, it's forgiving, monofilament is, because you fish can jump and pull and you don't get broke off as easily. Fluorocarbon will give you that because it will eventually stretch. But because it stretches, it takes more weight before it stretches. You have much better sensitivity and you get better hook sets. And it's, and it's, uh, it's just easier to, to fish with in those regards. And because it's heavier, you won't get a bow in your line if you're like jig fishing. So visibility, the flexibility, flexibility of the line, fluorocarbon tends to be a little stiffer than monofilament. One of the reasons I use it for a leader on my super lines, I'll have nanofill or fire line or uh, trilene braid, and I'll put uh, the appropriate 
liter of fluorocarbon, maybe two or three feet on it, I can change the, the uh, brake strength of that liter to adapt to a lot of different fishing conditions. Uh, I, get a, I get a visibility factor change where the fluorocarbon is going to look a lot more natural. Uh, and the other thing is when I'm casting, if you're casting super lines tied right to a lure, even if visibility isn't an issue, when you're casting super lines, they're very limp, and a lot of times the lure can wrap over and get tangled in your line, and you made a cast for nothing. You have to reel it in. With fluorocarbon, it's got enough stiffness to it that it, uh, it will keep that lure spread out and make your cast a lot more successful and a lot less tangling. What are some of the negatives of fluorocarbon? Well, one is uh, knots. Uh, fluorocarbon, you can tie very good knots with it, but you have to be careful. Fluorocarbon is... Um, it, it's, it's heat sensitive as far as the friction of the knot closing. So you really have to make sure you wet the knot, tighten it properly, and don't have the knot slip after it's on because that slipping of that knot can actually burn and you can get a weak spot. So you got to be careful tying your knots. You can tie good knots with it. It has to be done carefully. The cost of fluorocarbon, it's going to be more expensive than mono. In some cases, even more expensive than your super lines. The other is castability, all right? And the castability is an issue that... Um, Fluorocarbon is heavier, so when you cast it on a spinning rod, it tends to beat the first uh, eye on your rod a little bit and narrows down the cast. That's why I only use fluorocarbon as a full spool in certain situations. I use it for drop shotting where I'm not going to make a long cast, but I want a long, sensitive, invisible line that has good feel to it, and drop shotting is a great use of fluorocarbon. I'll use fluorocarbon sometimes when I'm jigging if I don't anticipate having to make long casts because it keeps the bow out of my line. But most of the time, I use fluorocarbon as a leader material on my, uh, uh, when I'm using super lines. Most of my rods, I have some with mono, some with fluorocarbon, but most are, uh, most of my rods have super line of some kind on them with a fluorocarbon leader appropriate for what I'm doing. That cuts down the cost, too, because a, a spool of line will last you a long time. Speaking of line, Berkeley makes two fluorocarbons that I use almost exclusively. They make their 100% uh, fluorocarbon, uh, which is their pro version. That comes in tests of 4 to 25 pounds. It's a little stiffer. It's got more of the characteristics of fluorocarbon that I talked about. And uh, it works very well on a spinning re on a casting reel or as a leader. They also make their fluorocarbon XL, which is limper, much easier to cast on a spinning reel, gives you better performance. Little limper, maybe not as good a leader unless you're going for a real finesse. And it comes in four to twelve pound. The fluorocarbon is going to be a little more expensive. Like you know, it can be upwards of twenty dollars a spool. Also remember that though, if you buy mono. Mono is going to absorb water, and UV is going to degradate the line. You've got to change it quite often. Fluorocarbon doesn't absorb water, and fluorocarbon also does not break down in UV. It's resistant to that, at least not as much. So you can get by with a whole season with fluorocarbon. And if you're using it for leaders, it's easy to just cut some off and replace it. it tends not to degrade on your spool, and you can use leaders for it. So fluorocarbon, 100% fluorocarbon from Berkeley for your bait casting reels and for leader material. Fluorocarbon XL for your spinning reels for casting. Make it part of your repertoire. Just use it in the right places. That's our Tackle Talk for today. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the Honey Smoked Salmon from the Honey Smoked Fish Company. The secret is in the fire.